When um, someone wants to become a member of our church, uh, we do a liturgical response that's been done in hundreds of churches. This happens in churches all around the world and uh, has, has kind of been developed over the generations. And there's a series of commitments that people make. Now, we haven't done this in our church yet. We've, we've, taken, we've offered membership classes. We have people who are ready to become members. We haven't, we haven't gone the full step of doing the vows yet. We plan to. Uh, we're a new church start, so we're taking our time with it. But, but one of the vows that someone would say, actually, in a worship service like this, is they would commit to something like this, to, to faithfully participate in its ministries by their prayers, their presence, their gifts, their service, and their witness. The idea is simple. Um, we belong to a community, and the community of God is able to do what we do when we offer what we have, which includes our presence. We show up. Uh, Renee talked about this uh, last week. Our prayers, committing to praying as a community. It's an important thing. Our gifts or what we're calling resources, or our assets, or our finances, and the other things that God has given us and blessed us. We, we give those to this greater good, this, this we is greater than me, this, this, this thing that we do together. And also our, our service, our talents, our time, our, our ability to engage and serve. And these are, these are important things. And then also our witness. Um, so in this series, we're covering the first four. We, we've, we, we decided not to do one on the witness just because we spent six weeks walking through what evangelism looks like. So we did a series recently on that. Um, but we're going to talk about the, the first four. And we start with our presence. What does it mean to show up? And today we're going to talk about our prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about our resources and what God calls us to, and then, and then we're going to talk about um, what it means to serve and to offer the talents and the gifts that God has given us. And really, it's based in this really simple verse. It's something that Sarah shared last week, uh, not knowing it, um, a verse that's in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 3.20, and it simply says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. It's this idea that God really can do more than we imagine, which is saying something because I have a very big imagination. I can imagine a lot. And it says, no, God can do more than that. But how? Well, it tells us through God's power at work within us. Not you singular, us, community. When we all offer what we have to God, God infuses it with some supernatural, miraculous power through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then God, together with all of us, does something. We are better together. And when we combine all that we have, God can do amazing. It actually reminds me of this cartoon theme song from when I was growing up. Some of you probably don't know this one. Um, A few people in the first service didn't even know this thing existed. So I'm going to bless you today. I have a clip from it. Here it it is. How many of you know this one? Yeah. Water. Heart. Go By your powers combined, I am Captain Planet. Captain Planet. You didn't know this was a thing, did you? Mara's over here, climate activist, doesn't know about Captain Planet. You should be ashamed. I can see it on your face. You know, and, and in a culture where this is, uh, you know, where uh, climate strikes are happening, then the video is intentional. But, but there's a line in there that says, with our powers combined. And, and that's what we're talking about, honestly. Sincerely? Seriously? Like, the, when, when God's power in us comes together, that's what the church is. And we really can. I honestly believe that if we offer the little we have, and I don't know what God is asking you to offer in regards to your presence and your prayers and your, you know, I don't know what it is, but if you offer what God is laying on your heart to offer, what, what God calls us to do will be more than possible. The, the impossible will be become possible. 
I, I 100% there won't be anything impossible for us, this little church known as Central City Church, if we bring what we have. So today I want to talk about one of those things, our prayer. And I want to start from an honest place. Uh, prayer has always been a bit of a mystery to me. Um, this morning I was reminded of an interview I did on prayer. And uh, it's a video. It exists in the world. You can find it on YouTube. I don't encourage you to. Um, I'm interviewed by my professor. And me and Alyssa both were interviewed about, uh, uh, by our professor, and, and specifically asking how pray, prayer was going to play a role in starting this church a couple years ago. And I had such eloquent things to say. I really did. You know, just very intelligently worked out. You know, very, I would say it was inspiring. I was inspired. I can be inspired by myself. This is part of my narcissistic personality. And uh, it was great. Except for here's the thing. I remember doing that interview. And I remember thinking, but not saying, because I'm being interviewed for a video that's supposed to be inspirational. I remember thinking, but not saying, I don't know what is going on. I don't know what prayer. I, hopefully I say something that someone finds impressive. I remember thinking that. Prayer's always been a little bit of a mystery. There's been times in my life where I've had a, just a beautiful prayer life. There's been other times in my life where I say, what do you mean prayer life? <laughs> what is that? There's been times where like, I've seen God respond to prayers. I'll, I'll share a few today where God is just like, I felt this intimacy, intimacy with God where I, I knew stuff was going to happen before it happened. And God, I asked for things and I got it. There's been times when I've asked for something from God and I got it and realized I shouldn't have asked for that. And there's been times where I really needed something and I asked for God and God showed up. And there's other times where I felt like God was really distant, where my prayers were shallow and I didn't have this connection. And I didn't feel. And in all of that, from the earliest stage, I asked myself, what is really going on here? What is prayer really about? A couple weeks ago, I, something happened in my life that has challenged me and has changed the way that I think about prayer. And I'm still processing it. I'm still thinking about it, but I'm going to give it to you, and maybe God will use it in your life to think about and unlock what's really going on with prayer as well. That's my, uh, that's my prayer, anyways. And with that, before we get into the, the teaching, before I get into what God did in my life that has kind of changed my perspective, um, I do want to just take a second and ask God to speak in and through me. So will you pray with me? God, um, we do ask that your words uh, would come into our lives, that um, regardless of what I say, regardless of what is said, regardless of what is read, um, that you would just come and you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that we would meet you in a way that we need, um, that I wouldn't get in the way, that the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts would be pleasing to you and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you as well. You are our rock and our salvation. In your name, amen. tell you a little story about a company that you maybe have heard about um, uh, called IBM. In the 1960s, IBM had started to grow into a major world corporation. They had developed this little computer system that beat out all of their competitors and put them on the world stage. They had grown to an international company, and they had employees and managers and CEOs and bosses. They had people working all around the world. And to figure all of this out, how do you work in a multinational corporation, an international corporation? In Europe, a new division was created. This division was called the Personnel Research Department. Its job was to figure out um, how to lead and work across 
uh, different cultures. Heading up this department was a guy by the name of Gert Hofsted. Here's a, here he is. And between 1967 and 1973, Hofstede conducted a, a study where he surveyed 88,000 employees of IBM in 72 different countries. And he asked them a series of questions. He's trying to understand how values are lived out in different places so they can understand how to manage their various departments in different countries. And so he took these survey and all of these value questions, and he began to research them and study them. And over the years, what he's looking for was a, a series of trends. How do I measure cultural differences in the workplace? And he came up with four dimensions that he saw play out in different worlds. And one of those things was called power distance. Anyone familiar with power distance? No one here. Okay. There was, there was two people in the first service. So I don't know what that says about you all, but I'm just kidding. It's not a competition. <laughs> Here's a short definition. I'm going to try to explain it. You've got to understand this if you understand where I'm going. Power distance, in short, has everything to do with how subordinates, people who are at the lowest level of a hierarchy, how do they relate to people in authority? What is the distance of the power, the decision-making ability? And it turns out cultures interact differently. Some are very low power cultures like uh, Denmark, Israel, Austria. Others are high distance between those in the lowest and those at the highest. Uh, a lot of uh, Middle Eastern countries, um, Latin American countries, and Asian countries tend to have a high distance. America, do you know any guesses where America might be on the spectrum of low to high? We're about in the middle, so a little bit of, little bit of everything, 30 to 40 out of 100. Uh, this is how I've, I was thinking about this, and, and this is one of the ways that I've seen it play out. I, I have a, a bit of a problem when I go to the doctor's office. My problem is, is I'm, I'm actually, in, I, I, I view doctors as an authority to not be questioned, which doesn't work well in our healthcare system because they're ordering tests, and I'm not asking anything about them, and those all cost money, friends. And so I, I, this happened to me recently. I went to a doctor, didn't ask any questions about the tests. I'm just like, you're the doctor. I'm, I'm the patient. I have no idea what's going on. So much so that they're asking me how I'm, doctors actually need input, it turns out, from patients. And I'm like, I get tongue-tied. I'm like, I, he's like, did it, did it hurt? And I was like, I don't remember. I, like, I can't, like, I don't even know. I, I'm not taking questions right now. And, like, this is how, this, and it's not doctor's fault. It's my fault. I just view doctors in this kind of, and I'm actually friends with a lot of doctors, so I don't have a problem outside. But you put me in a medical room with, like, the, the, the exam table and all that sort of stuff, and I just become this little child, and I become a mouse. There's a high power distance. It couldn't be a further distance between where the doctor is and where I put myself, right? This is a, that's high distance, long distance, okay? Um, but because I went to a doctor and I got some tests done, um, and because I have American insurance, it was declined, as is the case. And so I have to call. I ended up on a phone call with someone from a call center. And the thing about me with people in the call center is that distance couldn't get any shorter. And all of a sudden, I have a lot of opinions, and I will tell you how to do your job. And I will ask all of the questions, including the questions that Alyssa doesn't want me to ask. Alyssa says that I'm rude. She's not wrong. And I'm working on it. But the distance becomes very, very short. So that's high versus low. And, and now you're probably thinking your workplace and your world and where you interact with people and maybe even the way you raise your kids. Is there a, do the people at the lowest sort of rung of the hierarchy, do, do they have say? Do they have input in the decision-making? in what should be, in how things should work. I was first introduced to this concept of power distance on a Malcolm Gladwell podcast a few weeks ago. 
And they were talking about different cultures. And so he interviewed someone from a low power distance culture. Uh, Israel tends to be a low power distance culture. He was interviewing someone from Israel who was living in the United States. And she was sharing about what that's like. And she basically said, you know, as an, as a, as an Israeli from Israel living in America, living here basically means I'm constantly holding my tongue. I can't actually say what I'm thinking. So she tells a story about being in a school setting. She says, in America, it's for some reason inappropriate in the midst of a, of a conference of a bunch of teachers and parents and the principals talking to raise your hand and challenge them publicly. Like, people think that's rude. I'm like, okay, yeah, that would be rude in some settings. She says, not, not, not where I'm from. Like, the person who's in charge, like, you should just be able to challenge them openly. The podcast went on to give another example of a low... Uh, distance power um, and from Israel specifically, but it wasn't a person they were interviewing. It was actually referenced a story from the Old Testament, and this got my attention. It's not a Christian podcast, not even a religious podcast, so it was interesting to me that they were going to tell a Bible story, and they told a story about Abraham interacting with God, a story where Abraham's talking to God as an example of power distance, and that's when something clicked for me, and I started thinking, What is power distance could actually help me understand what's going on in my prayer life? And is my relationship with God, do I view God as sort of the boss that isn't to be questioned, or do I view God as a friend that I can just bring anything to? And more so than the way I view it, what does Scripture say about that? So now you're probably sitting and you're thinking how this plays out in your life, in your workplace, in your school, and, and a lot of people shared examples after the service. What I'd like for you to do is put that on hold, put that on pause, I want us to think about power distance, the distance between those in the lowest and those of the highest, how it relates to prayer, specifically our relationship with God. So here's how we're going to do it. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some verses. I'm going to put them up on the screen. We're going to read them, and I'm going to ask the simple question, is this a high power distance or is this a low power distance in these various verses? And we'll see what happens. Uh, So the first one comes out of Deuteronomy. It's a good summary of the whole law. Um, This is what Deuteronomy says. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him? What do you think? Is that a high power distance or a low power distance? Yeah, so high. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and this is classic Old Testament, right? People of Israel, do what you're told. What? Don't question it. Just obey. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Anyone know that song? You're lucky I didn't sing it. That would have been fun. I didn't. No, this is classic high, like, and this was a big, yeah, high power distance. Look, look at the next one. It goes to, uh, uh, this is God responding to Job. Job had the audacity to question God on why his life was so terrible. Here's how God responds. He says, the Lord God spoke to Job out of the storm. First off, God's speaking out of a storm. You already know how this is going to go. This is not God speaking out of a whisper. That's another story. God is speaking out of the storm. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? High or low? Very high. I mean, and rightly so. God's like, I created everything you see, so back off, right? You don't understand how this works. I'm the creator. You're the creature. Stay in your place. Stay in your lane, right? Very high. Let's look at the next one. This is actually one of my favorite verses. It's in Isaiah. It says, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts? This is what I say to, uh, uh, this is what I'm thinking when I'm sitting in a room with a doctor. You know, I'm just like, I don't know, you tell me. Very high, right? God knows what we don't know, and he's, he, can, he's mad, he's more, he can imagine more than us. He can do more. God is bigger and more powerful, and just, so just stay in your place. Trust that the person in charge, the God in charge, has it, take it, it's taken care of. You just do your human stuff. God's got the big picture. It's all taken care of. This isn't just an Old Testament. There's a, there's a, there's, I was tempted to make this case that you see a high power distance in the Old Testament and it's low power in the New Testament, but it's not, it's not as easy as that. In the New Testament, you see this as well. Here's a teaching from Jesus. It's not preached on very often. We don't like this teaching in America as a sort of moderate to low power distance culture. High power distance cultures would probably love this teaching. They say, of course, that's how this is supposed to work. Here's what Jesus says. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Jesus. Textbook definition of a high power distance. I am master, you are servant. This isn't complicated. Serve me. Some of us can find that uncomfortable. Here's why I think this is good news. How many of you have been in charge or responsible for something? Serious question. How many of you have been in charge of something? Okay, so all of you know what it's like to be stressed out, right? Because that comes with it. You're responsible for another human. You're in charge of uh, an event, whatever. You're in charge. If you're, I find myself in charge a lot, part of my personality and my privilege. I find myself in charge a lot. It can be stressful. It can be difficult. Every once in a while, though, I find myself in a situation where I'm volunteering with an organization that I'm not in charge of. And I have no decision-making ability in this organization. I'm just showing up. They tell me where to stand. They tell me what to pass out or what to say. And you know what, friends? It's amazing. It really is. Like, if you, you should do this at some point. Serve in a place where you're not really in charge, which means you're not really responsible. You're just doing this thing because someone told you to do it. It is exceptional, especially if you're a person like me who tends to be in charge. Find yourself in a place where you just serve. You just volunteer. It's fantastic. Here's what I think about why I think this view of God can actually be really wonderful. If you have ever been overwhelmed, if you've looked at the world and you said, I can't fix this. If you've looked at your family and said, I don't know how to do this. If you have relationships or problems and life becomes overwhelmed, here is some really good news, friends. You're not God. Relax. You're just volunteering. There's been times in my life and in my ministry and in my calling where that's been my response. I just can't do it, and I have to surrender. That's what prayer looks like in this kind of relationship. God, you're God. I'm not. I just surrender. I can't do it. I don't know how to fix this, I don't know what, and I don't even know what's going on, and I'm not hearing anything from you. I feel this deep distance between the decisions that are being made and the, my own experience, but I just, have, like, I just let go. Here's what prayer looks like in this kind of relationship. It comes out of Romans. Paul describes it like this. He says, in the same way the Spirit helps in our weakness, in those moments where we're just like, I can't. I just, you know, like, you just, I can't. I can't. I don't know what the, I just, done. 
says, he helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. First off, let me just say, this is classic high power distance. The CEO is filling out your feedback form for you. That's what's happening here. Okay. But in a way, it's really beautiful. I can't, I don't, I don't even know what to, I don't even know how to, I don't know, I don't know. And God's like, no, I'll, I'll come in and I'll help you. Literally, all, I, all you can do is groan. Okay, I'm going to intercede for you. God's going to pray to God somehow in some strange, mysterious way. Here's why this is good news. There's an immense amount of pressure in our culture for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's, an American, it's a form of American Christianity. You should have a personal relationship with Jesus. You've heard this before. You've probably been challenged it. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but there's a certain amount of pressure. And when I study Scripture, I see a lot of people who don't have a personal relationship with God. They have a relationship with God that's more mysterious. God is a little bit, feels a little bit more distant. God is holy, powerful. God is someone that you obey. And I, maybe I don't, friends, if you feel pressure to have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that you don't have to. You can still have a relationship with Jesus. You can still trust in this mysterious, powerful, all-knowing this God that you almost are afraid to approach because God is that great and that awestruck. You can have a holy relationship with Jesus. And that's what I would say if you've struggled to feel that intimate, you know, like people are like, you know, Jesus is my, Jesus is my boyfriend. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. That's the thing people have said in my presence. Yours too, probably. If you're like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, that doesn't click with me. It's okay. God's ways are higher than ours. God is the master, the creator of the universe, and I can, I can be me. I can be the human who does what God has placed on my heart, who follows what Scripture teaches. I'm going to be faithful and obedient. I'm going to keep. Friends, that kind of relationship with God is what sustains me when I have doubts, when I'm uncertain, when I go through deconstruction. I hold on to this mysterious, awe-inspiring, holy God who I don't fully understand, whose ways don't make sense to me, and I just trust that God is God and that I am not, and I, I might not always understand. That's, that's what it makes me human. If I understood everything, then I wouldn't be human. And that faith, that kind of relationship is what sustains me, and if you're going to be a Christian for any amount of time, you'll probably have a relationship with God like that at some point. I find a lot of people spend seasons or even find themselves landing later on in life, with that kind of, God is God, I am not, that's okay. And there's a beauty to that. If you look at these verses, you might assume that that's how it should be. I'm going to suggest that I think that's a great place to start. And I'm going to even say, I'm going to move into some other, we're going to look at some low power distance verses. Um, before I get there, I want you to know, like, this, this is the foundation. Recognizing that God ultimately has say, and that God is God, and that I am not. That's where we start. And it's important that we start there, and that it remains true as we move forward. But what we'll find is, as I look at a few other verses, is that it doesn't stay there. So here are the verses. The first one, I'm going to actually start backwards. And it's Jesus talking again. He appears like he's almost contradicting himself. He's talking to his disciples, John 15. This is what he says. He says, I no longer call you servants. Interesting. Totally different tone. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. That's textbook definition, right, of a, of a low power distance, right? Like, no, you're not servant. I'm, you're my friend. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Here's how uh, Paul says in one of his letters. He says, in Jesus, in him, next, in him, in Jesus, and through faith in Jesus or him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, right? So in other words, you don't have to stay down here. You don't have to stay in the, 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 out of, you know, like you can, we are now, we're able to go and approach God with a certain amount of freedom and confidence. Like we can go and we can talk to the person in charge. Give me the manager. You're allowed. Ask for the manager. Next verse, uh, Hebrews says it like this, very similar language. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. But once again, this isn't just, to, you know, like I said, I'm tempted to look at maybe Old Testament's one way, New Testament. No, that's not the case at all. Because in the Old Testament, you'll see a very similar interaction with God's people. In fact, that story from the, from the podcast, they were telling the story of Abraham and God. It actually was a low-power, distance conversation. And what's happening is this. So we're going to spend just a second with this. Abraham is invited into the conference room with God where decisions are made. See, God has this problem. And Abraham's going to help make the decision on how to deal with it. Here's the problem. Genesis 18, 20, it says this. It says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So what's happening is the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, this is the language that you find in the Exodus when um, uh, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. It says their outcry reached God. So when, when people are being objectified, when people are being enslaved, when people are experiencing significant injustice, they cry out, maybe to God directly, maybe just in general. God hears it. God has to do something about it. God's like, I have to fix this. I have to resolve it. And here's the assumption that's going to happen in the ancient world. The assumption is that God is going to fix this because this is what the gods did. This is how they viewed um, justice in the ancient world and even a little bit still today, is simply God is going to nuke them. That's the assumption. God's going to destroy the city because it's doing so many bad things. It's, it's hurting people, enslaving people, abusing people. And he says, Abraham, I want you to be engaged in this process. Tell me, you know, I mean, this is what I'm thinking. I'm probably going to destroy them. What do you think should happen? And here's what Abraham says. Next verse. Then Abraham approached him, God, and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Abraham uh, goes up to God and says, if, you know, hey, God, if there's 50, we got a whole city just doing terrible things, but what if there's 50, you know, people doing it right? What Abraham does here is actually really bold. Uh, he's not holding back. He, 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 he's advocating for people to God. He's making a stance. And here's the best thing about this. God doesn't get mad at Abraham for taking, like, for saying, hey, God, why don't you do this? It's a very bold move. And God doesn't get upset. In fact, if you read the passage, it almost appears like this is what God wanted Abraham. God wanted Abraham to engage the conversation, which is a, its own lesson in prayer. Here's what God says. Um, he says, next verse, he says, The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. He says, okay, you've got a deal. 
this is what I love about this story. Abraham doesn't say, okay, great time praying, God. He says to God, well, read it. Abraham spoke up again. He says, now, now that I've done so bold as to speak to the Lord, though, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, right? He's naming his place in the created order. Though, uh, um, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Would you destroy the whole city just because you lacked five people? This is, uh, you know, something that we don't quite understand. I don't like bartering. I've had to do it a few times. This is how I barter. Someone says, here's the price. I'll say, can you go a little lower? They'll say, yes, and I say, deal. Like, that's where I, that's as far as I'm going with, does anyone actually enjoy bartering here? We're not a bartering culture. There's some people who are really good at it. You had to do, you know, like buying cars, you had to do it for a while. They're kind of changing that. But Abraham talks God down to 10, five at a time. He's like, well, what if there's just five less than 50? You know, 45. God's like, okay. He says, well, what if there's just five less than 45? And he goes all the way down. He gets God to say, fine. If there's 10 righteous people, I won't destroy the city. I was sitting with this this story, and I realized this is what prayer probably looks like in a low power distance relationship. It's not just trust and obey, nothing wrong with that. It's like bartering with God. To be honest with you, I've never considered prayer as an opportunity to barter with God. It almost feels heretical, weird, wrong. I'm, saying, I'm not saying this is a, some kind of trick to get what you want. You know, ultimately, God, uh, God has the final say, and, and, and quite honestly, um, Abraham's conversation doesn't even change what God does. There weren't 10 righteous, and God's plan was always to take the righteous out of the city, and then he was going to destroy it, and Abraham didn't even think about that as an option. So it didn't really even change. So I'm not saying that, that, that God, you know, like this is some trick to get what you want because, you know, you're engaging in a different sort of way. What I am saying is I want to imagine that maybe God has a table, a conference room even, where decisions are being made, and for some strange reason, God has a seat at the table for you, for me, for Abraham. Think of a workplace. There might be three kinds of workplaces. In a high-power distance workplace, um, the boss makes the decision, and people go on with their lives, right? You just trust that the boss knows best, and there's no way to offer feedback or input. You just you do what you're supposed to do. Somewhere maybe in the middle in a particular workplace, uh, I imagine they would provide a, a feedback form right? So, you know, you fill out a form, no one reads it, but you feel like you were heard, right? That's, that's maybe a middle ground. And then a low power distance culture, you're invited to sit at the table where decisions are being made. If I was to guess, and I'm just guessing here, I think most of our prayers are probably somewhere in the middle. Prayer is a comment card. In, in our church with the connect card, it literally is. But it's a comment card. It's a feedback form. We fill it out. We throw it up to God. We're not sure if God hears it. We're not sure if God's going to do anything. We don't think much about it. But we're told from a young age we should pray, and we pray, and we submit the request. And, you know, that's where we're at. And that would make sense for 
who we are culturally. But what I want us to wrestle with is what if instead we believed we had a seat at the table? What if prayer wasn't just a comment card? What if it was a chance to barter? How would that change your prayer life? I want to propose a very dangerous idea. And I preface it by saying it's a dangerous idea. But what if God actually wanted our input? I'm not saying God needs it. God doesn't need it. God is God. God is self-sufficient. God doesn't need anything. God is holy and other and able to do more than we could ever possibly imagine. God is able to fix all of our problems if God so pleases, and we don't understand why sometimes God doesn't. God is God, and I am not. I'm not saying God needs our input, but what if for some strange reason, if only because God loves us and wants to be in a relationship with us, that God actually wanted our input? Wanted, dare I say, maybe not input, engagement, to come and to sit. Let's discuss it. Let's have a conversation. What if when we said that prayer is powerful, and I believe that prayer is powerful, we understood it as this, that God is doing things, that decisions are being made, and and God has invited us at the table to be a part of that conversation, and that that conversation shapes what God does moving forward. You know, and sometimes we have concerns, and we have stress, and we have worries that are too great, and we just need to hand them over to God and say, you know, God, I just, I can't do this. It's yours. I can't fix this. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just waiting, I'm trusting, I'm, I'm me, you're God, and you leave it there. But sometimes, I think we need to be reminded that we've got a seat at a table in the presence, in the grace, in the throne place of God. We have a place in God's presence to voice our concerns and our stress and our worries. As one of your pastors, this is, this is where I'm getting at. I think... I think that if we as a community took this seriously and, 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 took, and recognized that prayer is actually powerful and said, hey, we're going to go. We're going to sit down with God in our own quiet place and as a community, and we're going to say, hey, God, here's some of the things we'd like to see happen in our church. Here's some of the things we'd like to see changed in the world. I, I honestly, and I don't know if this is, I honestly think that God could do and, and will do amazing things. I want you to continue to imagine with me. This is going to be a little silly, but just stay with me. Imagine that there's this conference room where God's sitting where decisions regarding Central City Church are happening. You know, it's the conference room for Central City Church. It's, you know, these are where the decisions are making. And uh, God's there. When we were at the theater, we, we launched a few blocks from here at the Grandview Theater. Uh, within the first six months, we were really struggling. We didn't have space for kids. Um, the space wasn't really conducive to the kind of community we were trying to build, and our numbers were plummeting. We were, we were, we were, Alyssa was certain we weren't going to make it through the summer if God didn't open up an, another space. And, and, and so we prayed, you know, we said, God, we need something different. You need to, we, we've got to do something. And, and, and I was thinking back on that in re- regards to all of this, and I'm, I was, you know, like, I was pretty bold, but it was essentially like God's in that conference room making decisions for our church, and I'm like sliding comment cards into the door like every day. I'm just like, boom, 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 listing out exactly what we want. And to be, 
to be entirely frank, God answered our prayer in a, what feels like a somewhat miraculous way. At the right time, it had mostly what we needed. It had better kid space. It uh, Not great, but better. And it had, you know, all of these things. And it worked out really great. And it was this beautiful moment. But I was thinking back on that. I said, what would, what would be different about my prayer life if I had the boldness, the confidence, as the New Testament says, to actually enter the room and say, hey, God, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. What, what are our options? Not because God needs my input, because God wants me, wants to watch me grow and learn. Here's what I'd like to invite you all to do as a, as a community. There's some things that I'd like for us to bring to God, you know, some things I'd like for us to take seriously and to say, hey, God, we want, we want to pray about these things. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is, is, is pray for our community um, around a couple of specific things. Um, and so I encourage you to write these down if you have a place or put them in your phone. Um, they're just, there's four things, and then, and then I'll share the prayer that we have on the business card. Um, but there's four things that I invite you to pray, to, to say, hey, you know, whether it's just, you know, and I've, I've dealt with God in all, almost, generally speaking with these things, I'm like, I default to saying, God, you're in charge, you just do it, and I'm just going to keep being faithful. Sometimes I'm like, well, here's specific, you know, I submit the comment card, and now I'm thinking through, what does it mean to really actively engage in a conversation with God? around this. So the first one is worship. We love to gather in worship. We love the community that's built here, the way in which we can turn our faces and eyes and hearts towards God. And and we'd like to really kind of two prayer requests around worship is one, we'd we'd like to see more people find this community and experience God and and experience community in the midst. And our goal has been uh, since the start of the summer to be at 150 people in worship. I don't, you know, like even the way I talk about it, I was like, well, God's going to do that or not do that. You know, like I'm just trusting God and you know, like I'm a little hands off, but, but I've been thinking about what it would look like to barter. And I'm like, well, sh- you know, if God signs off on 150, should we go higher? I don't know. I'm figuring, you know, I'm wrestling with that. You know, it's fun. It's, I'm, I'm inviting you to think about this, like really think about what it means to be in a relationship with God and for God to be interested in what you think. So first off is worship attendance. We, we want to invite you to pray about that. The second one is our space. You know, we're in flexible space. And one of the challenges here is our children's area. I hinted at before our um, our kids are back there uh, for at least an hour sometimes in a, in a space that's just room enough for a table. They don't have room to run around. And you've got these volunteers who are keeping kids' attention for uh, sometimes more than an hour, and that could be a challenge. Um, so we're trying to figure out how we can use it, the space more creatively or also whether God might open up a new space uh, down the road. I know eventually we'll be uh, in a new space, um, uh, but, you know, I don't know what that looks like. And so we're just, uh, I invite you to be in prayer about that as well. The second thing I want you to pray for the church about is, um, is small groups. We're starting a, a couple different small groups. We're putting into leadership a couple new small group leaders. We have some small groups that have been around for going on two years. Um, and so I invite you to pray specifically for our small group leaders. Um, we have some new ones. I know that, that we want to pray that they just kind of capture a vision of what it means to build authentic community and be prayer about that, but also for the ones that have been doing it for a while. I can't imagine if they're exhausted or tired or um, sometimes just serving in general can be discouraging, but also pray for our groups. We really want to be a place where people can be authentic and vulnerable with who they are, and I invite you to be praying for our small groups, our leaders, and um, people who are in them. Uh, the, the second thing, or the third thing that I want us to pray about is our uh, servants. If you're on a, a ministry team, then you know I think almost all of them this applies to, but if you're on a ministry team, you're like, yeah, we could probably use a few more people on our team. That goes for Little Bottoms. With all the families we're serving on Thursday nights, it goes for city kids and greeters and et cetera. And it was even Jesus who said, 
He said, hey, the workers are few, uh, but the harvest is plentiful. So Jesus had this problem. It's not a new problem. Um, what's interesting is his commandment when he said, we don't have enough people, he said, so go and pray. He didn't say go and recruit or guilt people into serving. You know, like he didn't say anything. He said pray. And so that's what we're inviting you to do is pray that God might call um, more people into the harvest and, and to serve. Um, uh, we can always use more servants, and that's not going to change. So um, don't, uh, don't stress out about it. Um, it. It's just part of what it means to be in ministry. Uh, finally, uh, I invite you to pray about our finances. The truth is, is that our finances have typically been really great. God has really blessed us. Uh, one of the things I think, one of the core values of our church um, and of people who are a part of our community is generosity. People are generous. And we've been fairly, uh, God's been generous to us as well. We've been able to receive a lot of grants. Um, so first, I mean, I invite you to just thank God for providing. We've been able to do what we want to do. And our prayer then is that that continues. Uh, we are on grants. So in 2020, we'll, our grants will change. Um, they've changed the last uh, three years by significant numbers. You know, we'll, we'll drop um, next year probably, I want to say, 60,000. Um, like that's like our grants will change by about that much if I'm thinking, but it's a large amount, whatever it is. And, but that's been the case the last couple of years and God has provided uh, through either other grants or an increase in giving and, and et cetera. So we do want to be, as we look towards 2020, those are the things I invite you to pray for. Um, I invite you to pray for our worship, our attendance and, and for our space. I invite you to pray about our small groups and the people that are there and the community that's forming as well as the leaders, those, those who are new and those who've been doing it for a while. I pray for our servants and our ministry teams. We can always uh, just ask God to come and say, hey, God, we, you know, raise up some people. And then also our finances and begin to pray that God would just continue to provide for us. That's what I want to invite you to pray. And one of the ways that we're doing that is, uh, is if you pull out this little business card, on the back is a prayer. I, we try to put something together that might be a little poetic and, and, and something that we could pray together. And it captures at the heart of it everything I just told you. Um, and what I'd challenge you to do is don't put this down. When, pick it up right now, and then when you leave, put it in your pocket. And I encourage you to put it somewhere. And at 3.20, playing off of Ephesians 3.20, at 3.20 p.m. every day, take a second and either pray this prayer or some version of it. it. I'm not talking about spending multiple minutes. You can be at work. It can be a few moments. But just take a second and pray, pray this prayer. It says this. I'll read it for you, and then we'll, we'll pray it together at the end. But it says, to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, help us to be your church in this place. A church that sincerely worships you, wholeheartedly loves each other, and fiercely seeks justice for our neighbors. Show us how you might use our presence, prayers, resources, and talents to build your kingdom through Central City Church. In Jesus' name, who deserves the glory forever and ever. Amen. I really do think prayer is powerful, and I invite you to approach God in confidence and bring these things before God on our behalf as a community. And I also want to give you room that if that's not where you're at, and you just you're at a place where you just need to trust God, or you just need there's this dis, you know, and God, is, I invite you to be at that place as well. But I do challenge those who are able who are at a place who could say, I'm going to commit to offering my prayer for this community. I'm going to invite uh, Ryan Paxcomp to prepare for our final song, and I invite you to stand. And if you feel so led, I thought as an act of worship, we might read this prayer together. It'll be on the screen. It's also on your cards. Um, so please stand, and if you feel so led, join with me. Let's pray.
to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Help us to be your church in this place. A church that sincerely worships you, wholeheartedly loves each other, and fiercely seeks justice for our neighbors. Show us how you might use our presence, prayers, resources, and talents to build your kingdom through Central City Church. In Jesus' name, who deserves the glory forever and ever. Amen.